Welcome to the Wine Draws podcast, an exploration into the world of wine from the grape to the glass. I am your host, Renee, and an avid wine enthusiast. The Wine Draws intent is to bring topics, tips, and alluring conversation about all things wine from the grape to the glass. Welcome to the second edition of the Wine Draws podcast. Um, with me today, I have my co-host, Taylor Ford, and we have the pleasure of talking with a young man of color in the wine and beverage industry. His name is Khalil Williams, and I'm hoping that I'm pronouncing your name correctly, okay? Um, he is a native of Connecticut, is a small business owner, bar manager, spirit brand representative, and a program, cocktail program consultant. He specializes in marketing, engagement, and data. His passion is to explore the why behind consumer decisions. He loves old world wine, new world rum, and thoughtfully crafted cocktail. I like him already. Um, he's a bartender of color whose vision is wine and cocktails with a side of soul. Go ahead. Find him on Instagram at the Barlage Image. Is that how you pronounce it? It's at the Barrel Age. I, um, oh, okay. I came up with that one before I really had my um, kind of branding knowledge on point. But um, yeah, it's at the barrel age and it's just all about you know much like in wine does in a barrel through time we evolve we change and we hopefully if we can get better and more mature with age oh okay very thoughtful okay well i want to welcome you to the wine draw and hope that this will be the beginning of a long lasting sipping relationship I need your help. Okay. Um, we'll talk about the wines in detail later, but am I going white or rosé? Because I need to pop, I need to pop one of these bad boys. Well, we popped. Um, we have red. We have red from Spain. Oh, and yeah. she has the bottle so she can tell you the name and a little bit about it. I haven't. It researched it, but it was something that I was given um, this evening. I said, okay. Um, you know, one of the things that bothers me about this area is the fact that people look at it from price point and yes. not from taste. Bingo. Okay. Um, so that's my first question. How do you go about describing, picking, and enjoying wine? I just jump in really quick first. I'm going to say go open the white. Go with the white. Go ahead. Open the white is what I'm going to say. We're having a problem with audio. Oh, no. Go with the white. Okay, sure. I have, and this will kind of go with um, how we describe, um, the maker's called Smithstone. And this is a Riesling. I have a lot of um, friends my age in the um, wine industry, and I know at least four people that have Riesling tattoos. Um, Riesling, I like to talk about because I feel like it is so kind of unsung and misunderstood. Think about, picture just um, the landscape of a bar. Picture every bottle in that bar. I could replace every single one of those bottles with a different Riesling from a different area that kind of had a different note to it. Um, the German kind of German Austrian um, winemaking regions and kind of acumen and the winemaking skill are just insane. And um, I started following a guy like 10 years ago named Terry Thies and all he does is through Germany and the Champagne region, finding these little farmers with these small plots that make these really kind of unique earth driven wines. So we're gonna start with a Riesling. I, um, part of what I look for, just like in life, I remember when I was young, when I went to school, I, um, 
I went to school in Bloomfield, Connecticut in the, you know, in school year. And in the summer, I went to camp out in Columbia. Different chromatic effect in each place, right? Um, when I was at school in Bloomfield, I always had to be listening to some hard rock or some heavy metal. When I was out in Columbia, I always had to have some hip hop on. So anything to kind of um, turn heads or do something different, that's one of the first things I look for when um, we try to find mine. Anything I, I, I can't pronounce, I'm, I'm here for it. I want it because I want to learn about what's in that bottle and learn about its providence. I approach enjoying wine. The learning piece I think is important because simply even if all, you're, all one is going to do is order wine when they're out or pop a, a bottle with friends and never really think of much more about it, you want to be able to get what you like. And that flavor profile might be called one thing when it's from California, something else when it's from Spain, something else when it's from Portugal, have similar genetics, be of similar quality and be at three different price points. So, you know, the learning process is just um, almost, even just to be a, a good, smart consumer. The more I learn about wine, the more I can find a deal. I say the same thing about food. Um, Growing up, I couldn't afford to have no allergies. Allergies are a thing of, of, of the well healed. Um, the more that I like to eat, the better I'll do on Thursdays when that sale drops at Stop and Shop. And you end up getting things that are thoughtful and maybe had a little more kind of, I don't want to say value, but a little more panache, a little more style than you thought. Um, so ladies, cheers. Now that Spanish wine you have, I'm gonna take three guesses. Is it a Rioja? Is it um, a Garnacha? I think that um, if I remember reading the bottle correctly, the, I like the labels that are from other mm. places because at least it shows you the grapes that are involved. And um, Taylor, you have the bottle. What does it does it say on the back? What the on the back grapes? on the back it says uh, red wine, product of Spain, consentido, uh, which veils. Does it have region or mm -hmm. does it or say do anywhere? Does it say do anywhere or dominación? Mm -hmm. No, not that I see. And you know what? This is actually a thing. When you are dealing with wine from the old world, right? Mm -hmm. um, this bottle here, Chateau Montau, Cote de Provence, the hills of Provence, uh -huh. southern France. Uh, what, I, what I do a lot when I do um, wine classes, I'll give somebody a bottle from France, from Spain, from Germany, from Italy, and I'll be like, I'll give you $100 if you tell me the grape. And it's usually not there. Um, Ms. Renee, you just pointed that out. And kind of what this is saying is, this is wine from Provence. We do one thing and we do it the way we do it. And if you don't know, you better find somebody and ask. There's attitude that comes with that. You know, um, mm -hmm. in America, we're so young we don't have many things that are so synonymous with the place. I mean, you know, Champagne, a place, Burgundy, a place, Cologne, a place. We, um, cheese, Camembert, Stilton, these are places. In America, we don't have much of that, although the one we do have that is getting more popular by the day, Bourbon, Bourbon County is the place. That's kind of our, you know, world export. Um, but I've always found it funny, the difference in the labels, like, in America, it'll usually have more about, you know, their branding. Sometimes you'll have a picture of the vineyard, but in France, you, you almost, not always, but so much, they show you the property itself and the idea of the house with farm attached to it and that agrarian lifestyle is um, fascinating because it's, it's so different from how we live every day. It's not so different from how all of our grand and great grandparents lived every day. You know, they went out, they farmed, they turned to earth, and, and that product, what they were allowed to keep, um, became, you know, their sustenance. Uh -huh. um, much the same with wine. I, um, I kind of have a formula for, um, for, 
four products. It's um, the three L's, local, legendary, luminary. Now with wine, um, the local I usually use for beer, for food, for cheese, and I'm gonna say it right now and I'm gonna get shot for it. Connecticut vineyards mostly are best to visit. Um, there's a number of them that have really awesome wines and they are good as souvenirs. When it comes for kind of bang for the buck and purchasing, we, we aren't California, we aren't France. We're not set up like that. Right. Um, local for wine, you know, where, where is it from? Is it from the old world? If it's the old world, I'm gonna get more earth, more kind of flavors that don't trend towards kind of red fruit. If it's new world, I'm gonna get a lot more berry and fruit experience. Um, second L is legendary. Is this made by a winemaker with a long history or is it from a new upstart? Luminary, is this wine representative of a new blend or is it the traditional blend from the area? So kind of finding where it fits kind of within that. Um, I also think wine is like time. You have to, my dog is staring me down. I'm sorry, You. Um, it has to be measured between two points um, Renee, before we started and we were building, you were talking about um, the words used to describe wine. Think of a word like sweet. So sweet is one thing when you talk about wine. It's something else when you talk about frosting. So what does sweet mean? Right. You know, finding those kind of parameters are the kind of hands-on things that I feel like every person who enjoys wine it will be most benefited by in the initial stages. Um, this is good. Now, so on the back of that bottle, I'm a dork. So now you got me. Now you got me all about this. Um, um, there's at the bottom. There's nothing that says bio or do or denomination or wines of, because you might find the region easier than you find the grape. Right. And I don't know if there is a um. In the on the front of on the front of the label, it might say the region. Mm -hmm. Excuse me, but I'm not sure. This is something that I picked up at my local um, shop. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, it was relatively inexpensive. I think nice. it was $8. Perfect. Um, and shop this and let me know what you think of it. Oh, uh, sweet. Nice. And so, and that's why I brought it home and I cracked it open and I was going to bring it with us so all of us can taste it. Um, but it, it's, to me, it's, um, it has a um, jammy type of taste to it. All right, you know? jammy fruit. Um, nice. It's fruit forward to me. It, mm -hmm. It's, um, it, I do... It has medium tannins in it because okay. um, it could go either way. Sure. I think that I would enjoy it with something more so than drinking it alone. Sure, sure. That that's, a, that's a huge thing for me. Is it just a quaffer or is it a pairing? Right. Um, and I like I like uh, wines or to explore wines that I could just drink as I sit and watch my best television show. Sure, or be sure. Like um, the sister on Carrie Washington on Scandal. Right. She's always have a glass in her hand. Right? Um, Can you um, show me the label one more time? I'm just going to go ahead and Google. Where is Taylor? Taylor. So on the back, I did find it as you all were talking. And it says Monastrel. Oh, that's not well, that's not what I saw. So I'm glad that you Googled it because what I see in the bottom corner said I'm not gonna pronounce that right. Is it why Nope? Go ahead. C-L-A. Yekla. Now I've never had anything from Yekla. The, so the grape, I, I've never had anything from that region. The grape on the front, it says Monastrel. Um, and Monastrel is pretty popular grape in Spain and in Cote de Rhone in France. In France, they call it something called Morvedra, um, Yekla. Yekla is a Spanish denomination 
de origen protegida. For wines located around the town of Yecla, in the northernmost corner of Mercia. So Jumilla, J-U-M-I-L-L-A, is a really, really popular area for um, Monastrell. And this is saying Yecla is north and west. And it says this area is notable for its extensive use of the red Monastrell grape variety. That's also really, really important because, so there can be, let's say Yecla is um, one of the best regions, right? And the wines from there always cost 200 bucks. And you see one mark Yecla and it's only 30, but it's not Monastrell, it's low. Well, okay, so this is now not representing what the area is known for might be an awesome thing and an awesome deal you get on an awesome Merlot from kind of a different place. Um, I like the Monastrells from Shmia and they've gotten popular 10 years ago. They were at the $8 price. Now I'm seeing it for 16, 17, 18, 19. So it's like this constant cat and mouse game. You know, you find the little, it's like back in the day with a restaurant or a cool club. You find that cool jumping place that you like, you bring your honey there. Four or five weeks later, you seeing everybody but who shot John <laughs> and you know it's reached kind of critical mass. So Yekla, you good. That is good pick. Cheers to you. Thank you. So what? What? Um. What did? How does one pick a price for their wine? How does the vineyard pick the price point of their wine? How does the vineyard pick that price point? You're about to get me fired up. So what I believe is it usually is determined by, I tell people, um, the closer the pinpoint gets, you know how when you open your Google map and you can go like from like the, the world to the street, mm -hmm. I will tell people if um, your wine was America, it would be $10. If it was Eastern Seaboard, it would be 15. If it was New England, it would be 20. If it was Connecticut, it would be 30. Bloomfield, 40. Um, Wittenberry Avenue, a thousand. So like the more kind of you drill down, the smaller the area that the grapes are from, okay. the more expensive the wine is. Now, what does that mean for us? Does that mean better? Um, the day it's released, if I'm gonna drink a wine today, that wine very small vineyard in that small area that's really gonna drill down on the taste, if I pop it today, it's probably a waste. You know, that price point is usually associated with the wine being meant to, to age or what they call lay down. A cool thing about wine is um, in my favorite online book, I'll tell everyone the title of later and it's a must read, um, less than 5% of the wine that's made is made to be aged longer than one year which that goes to what you were saying, Renee, this is a drink of the people. It's made to be consumed. People mm -hmm. grow it in their backyard to turn up with it all winter. Um, the, the, the laying down of the wines and the aging is a beautiful, beautiful, awesome thing. But if I never again had a wine that was made to be aged, would I miss out on some stuff? Yes. Mm -hmm. But if I had to choose between only having wine that was meant to be aged and only having wine that was meant to be drunk every year, I'd, I'd stick with the people and choose the wines that are meant to be consumed. Um, so it's kind of just the more specific the area is, also certain grapes, they call Pinot Noir the headache grape because it's very finicky, the, thin, the skins are thin, it, it'll die in a minute. Um, they say that's how champagne was kind of um, first first conceived because the grapes, a lot of the Pinot Noir grapes, they couldn't make red wine out of because the grapes would break. The wine would seep out. And if you have red grapes, the, the juice seeps out, you have white grape juice. The skins is what turns it red. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, the, the varietal influences the cost. Then afterwards, how it's aged, if it's new oak, used oak, American oak, French oak. So I'd say um, place, time, place, and process, I would say, to, to cut down that long monologue. Time, place, and process. Time, place, and process. So you've also noted in your bio that you like old world wines as opposed to new world wine. Is that? You know, I because I would say I should be booked for writing that. 
Um, recently, they said, um, you know, China's about to start producing wine. And they said it might be as good as the old world wines from France and Italy. Now, old world, what world is older, China or Italy? That term old world is caught up with a lot of ugliness about who was where and who writes the stories, you know? Mm -hmm. What I will say, because I've tried to evolve, I enjoy wine made in the traditional process. Okay. And a lot of them are from Italy, Spain, and France. Um, we're gonna stop calling what's, what is new old, quite frankly. Um, and what that means is wines produced traditionally, they say, if you take France and California, France is the hand of God, California is the hand of man. California, there's a lot of technological processes that allow them, no matter what the crop is like and what the weather is like, to turn out a consistent product year after year. Right. Somewhere in France, one year the wine guy might get an A plus, the next year it might get a C minus, but that A plus will exceed that steady B that you get in California. In California, they say, the wines are truer to the fruit. And people who like new world wines say the old world wines taste and smell like dirt. In the old world, they say, yeah, that dirt is the earth that these vines were grown in. And you only think that because you never were smart enough to travel here. These are conversations I've been sitting in the middle of with my black self, like I ain't from either one. <laughs> um, I just want to learn what tastes good and why. Um, the old world wines I find give a lot more to think about. Um, Delicious, learning that delicious is not necessarily my goal with wine was really, really important thing. Yum, even think about with food. Um, I don't know if you like rutabaga or turnips. Turnips, they're good, but they're not yummy. You get what I'm saying? Strawberry yeah. shortcake is yummy. Yeah, um, right. Certain types of meat and cheese, cheese, so many cheeses, they're funky and I love them, but they're not delicious. Um, in Riesling, one of the most sought after traits um, with those kind of words that they used to describe wine, and this is another exclusionary word because a lot of those words they used to describe wine, if you don't, if you haven't read a certain type of literature or are coming from a certain type of place, which has nothing to do with if you're intelligent or not, you don't get the words. But um, they describe Riesling as, um, it smells literally like gasoline. I know everybody's been at the pump. And you know, that little smell can kind of be, they call it petrol. Yep. And um, this one has some petrol. And it's funny, the most expensive ones get that petrol after aging. A wine in the mid range usually won't get it. You know what else, you know what wines will get that petrol? The cheapest Rieslings get it. So you could get that petrol that they seek from a $500 bottle. I've gotten it from a $5 bottle. So does that have does that have to do more with the, the, the soil and the climate than, the, than anything else? I mean, because, you know, I think the soil, where it's, what, it, what it brings in to, to marry with the roots of the yes. vine brings on the, the taste. No, um, and I, you know, I haven't became become that versed to know whether or not um, the longer it is aged makes it better than if it's young. <laughs> you know, because there, I think sometimes my taste goes for young yeah. wines opposed to uh, those mature collectible bottles of wine that mm -hmm. we get or those sure. expensive wines. Um, and I think uh, a lot of times I like quote-unquote new world wines because they're they're young they're vibrant you know they kind of do a dance with me do a dance uh, i like old, that they do a dance those I like old that. world wines like from italy and france and the regions around there they've just become for lack of a better word stuffy stuffy sure and the <laughs> fact that you like to enjoy wine kind of on its own you know, when I describe Italian wine to folks, because I'll have people taste it, and again, it's not yummy. I try to tell people who want to enjoy it, think about it like mustard. When was the last time you said, you know what I want for dinner? I want me a good bowl of mustard. Mm -hmm. 
I can't remember the last time I wanted to eat mustard like soup, but my favorite sandwich has it. And you know, the sandwich wouldn't be the same without it. Right. Some of those old work wines, I almost, you almost treat like a condiment. Um, to be enjoyed on their own, I find, especially for red, absolutely 100% um, things, wines from the new world absolutely lend themselves to that. The thing that all wine they say has in the new world has mastered and I see in California, definitely, especially over the last 20 years, um, it's this word in French that they even, I, I, I've heard even from French people that the definition is somewhat loose, but it's called terroir, T-E-R-R-I-O-R. And they mm -hmm. say it means of the place. Um, folks say that if you drink a wine from Vineyard X in Burgundy there 20 years ago, and you taste it in Chicago, 20 years later, you'll instantly be transported right back to that place oh. and the smell of the air and the, and the smell of the land. Um, so that idea of the terroir is something that um, gives wine its beautiful mystery. And I absolutely think, you know what, in America, we may not have one terroir that's just exceedingly world-class, but guess what? We'll make one. Oh. Our wine is like rock and roll. It's like something that the, maybe the masses didn't want to accept, but we made it our own and we were creative with it and um, we did something cool. Well, that's just like, um, and, and that brings to mind with me, um, Zinfandel. Okay. okay. Um, here it's called Zinfandel and I particularly like the Zinfandel grapes that are made into wine from Lodi. Yes, that's right. Else, okay. That's right. Um, and then if I compare it to the um, Italian version, which is the prim, 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 say, you got it. That to me is a little more, it has a little more um, grip to it, mm -hmm. to use that word. So same great, different terroir. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And um, but I'll stick with, you know, um, California sure. opposed to Italian. Um, I like that. It's more, to me, it's just, it's more smoother. It's more hmm, sure. elegant than I think the Italian version is. And um, I can drink that by itself right. where I cannot drink the Italian version. I need to have that with that sure. roast beef or, you know, that asparagus and you know it just needs more for me than the than the um wine that's produced here and i'm not a uh person who particularly likes thick wine except if you take me to oregon mm -hmm. and upstate washington i like those grapes that are grown there and the wines that they produce uh, so you know, you can see the difference. I, you know, and we and we just talked about that with this this bottle of wine from Spain, um, and the grape that it it's produced from is the grape is also grown someplace else with a different name. In the Cote de Rhone, that's right, absolutely. And in one place, they use in the Cote de Rhone, you don't see many wines made exclusively from that grape. They use it simply as a blending grape. But then in Spain. Right because the differences in temperature and soil and everything else, they use it as the main grape. It's just, you. I mean, even in Australia, Shiraz, in California, Syrah, in mm -hmm. France, Syrah, you line up three of them, you have three different wines. Yeah, and um, three different flavors, three different, you know, um, bodies that come with that. Um, and I think that's what makes it, intriguing to drink wine because there's so many different places with so many different um, varieties of taste. That's right. You know? And um, and people need to, for me, I think that's where people kind of need to get involved and understand what they like. So you like grape juice opposed to um, something that's diluted, you know, it's, it's your flavor, the, your, the, what impacts you the most um, is what I find. But so to talk about something else, what do you think about 
Um, one of the things that I have a problem with, or I, I find it different, is how people pick and choose wine when they go and purchase something. How do you pick and choose your wine? I mean, in your profession, you must know what to bring into the establishment by mm -hmm. tasting. And um, a lot of people will go and look at a label and like the way the label looks and say, okay, I'll try that. How mm -hmm. do you go about um what, so I have a couple processes. I try to, and I taste probably in a month, about between 25 and 40 wines. And what I try to do, I have a few reps. Now this is predicated on, and as a consumer, this is important. It's predicated on going to someone who I trust to do right by me. That's the first thing. If you don't have a bottle shop where somebody will talk to you about what they have, give you a sample to tell you when they're doing a tasting, give you a trial run. Um, I tell, I, there's different reps and you, there might be one shop, they got great California. Another shop, they um, specialize in Pinot Noir from everywhere. Another shop, they got stuff from places you never heard of. It's always $5 and it's always awesome. Finding a few different sources. I don't ask my California guy to find me something from Spain. It's going to be more expensive and I'm not going to be happy. I don't ask my Spanish guy to give me something from California. So slowly kind of figuring out who has what and why. I then will ask for, I'll show them what my program is, my current menu. As a consumer, I'd say what I already have at home. Find me 10 things that fit. And I'll get together with another person and we do what we call our brown bag. Um, we put the wines in a brown bag. We have um, a non-drinking person, um, label them, you know, one through 10, right what they are. And I still try to be courageous enough. And I always do this in front of when I have newer employees. Um, when I got into the industry, the people that came before me, they'd be like, oh, you don't know this, so you don't know that. And I found out they said that because they didn't know either. But, you know, kind of have the courage of my convictions and try the wines blind write what I think about them and what I think they are, then see how much that matches. So the, the blind tasting I find is the quickest way to truly find out what you like without any kind of supposition. Um, I'm definitely influenced by labels. If I, if I go by that and what I like and the colors I like, I'd be in trouble. Um, this looked like a doggone cola champagne bottle uh -huh. from the bakery. Uh -huh. If I went on that, I wouldn't have picked this up. Um, look at this. If I just show that this is like about this is like a forty, okay? It looks like a forty, <laughs> but it's a really nice. Um, it's a really nice um, German wine. So the blind tasting is definitely helpful starting there. Also, okay. everybody has a phone and they're typing all day. With one thing I tell people, there's no excuse. Start yourself a wine folder take some notes, use those notes and refer. You can't keep all this stuff straight in your head. Uh -oh. You know, I do this every day and I don't even try to straighten my head too much. And this goes for life in general. Now there's too much uncertainty anymore. The more we use these for wine, the less evil they become. That's my principle of the day. Um, taking notes. Also knowing that I never have to go into a store and spend more than $20. Me, I mean, I, it, it's sometimes a shame to say, but I, me, I could never spend more than 14 and be happy. Uh -huh. Start at that level and, you know, find things that I like at that price range, because then guess what? If I get one that's not my favorite, it's not the end of the world. And so what do you do with wine that you don't particularly like to drink? Um, if, if I have the bottle, turn it yeah. into sangria. Um, okay. Yeah, add it to that 25 ounces of wine, add four ounces of a juice, four ounces of a liquor, some fresh fruit, shake that thing up, beat it up, put it in the fridge, and I got me some sangria. Um, I've, I probably have figured out a way to get a wine corked and foiled and gifted it again, but I don't live like that anymore. Um, I don't suggest anybody give wine, gift wine that they've opened and tasted. It's COVID time now. We're not going to do that. Um, but share it. You know, you have a wine community, you know, 
this isn't my favorite. Miss Renee, this might be yours. I, this isn't my favorite. Taylor, you may like this. And that's an important thing of drinking independently. We may have three different things that yeah. we like, yeah. and we may think something ill about each other's wines. We're correct until we judge the other person. Uh -huh. That that you know, I, I'm really adamant about that. Um, well, I like to cook with wine. So if there's something that I particularly don't like to drink um, and think it needs to go with something, like I found this recipe for um, red wine brownies, okay? And um, so you um, soak the fruit in the wine and then mix it in with the, with the brownie mix. Mm -hmm. And I find that it puts a whole, because it goes... A lot of red wines go with chocolate. So I find that to be um, something that I really enjoy. Um, and, you know, on a stew, if I have a bottle of red wine that I don't particularly like, that I can't drink by itself, I'll throw it in the, you know, in that mixture. So I, I like to cook with wine also. Um, I like to cook. Taylor doesn't. I really like to cook with wine. And sometimes I even put it in the food. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's I can't take that's a WC Fields quote I can't take credit for that so you cook with it as you drink with it Bingo. you know <laughs> that type of thing um and so another question that that I would like to get your opinion on mm -hmm. is um what you know they talk about um when wine is best to drink you know mm -hmm. so if I pick up something and it says it was um, bottled in um, 2018, you know, mm -hmm. how long do I have before it goes bad or do I have to, um, you know, drink it right away? What, what, do, what does that have to do with? How do I determine that? Here's what I would say. And again, 90, this is a very loaded, loaded, controversial topic. And again, 95% of wine is to be consumed within its first year. Now let's take those wines that they say they should be consumed within their first year, right? If it's five years old, will it have lost something? Yes. Will it be repulsive? Absolutely not. I would say um, between two to four years from the date on the label is a safe time to consume most wines. There is an exception, and this is actually very important because I just got played. Um, and I'm glad it happened because I wanted to alert you all. Certain wines, um, two in particular, Rosé and um, a wine called Beaujolais Nouveau. Mm -hmm. um, the Beaujolais Nouveau, as you know, they come out in November, they're sold in November, and that's it, they're gone. If you right. see one from the year before, somebody's trying to hurt you. Um, rosé. Now, rosé is it, it. It goes by the season, and April the new rosés come in. A good wine shop will do a closeout on the older rosés. Mm. This was at full price. Now I looked the 2020 ship on April 5th. That does not say 2020. Now, it's not April 5th, but the shop didn't give a discount. Rosé and lighter white wine, Sauvignon Blanc especially, usually you want to know what the current vintage is. I'd say on any wine, you want to know what the current vintage is. Mm -hmm. For California, for red wine, more often than not, vintage does not matter within five years in I'd say 80% of cases. It matters in a wine that I'm gonna lay down for 10 years. But if you've got a place that's charging more, under $40 a bottle, if someone's charging more for something that's older, they're playing, they're playing us because of that old adage that wine gets better with time. Um, it's not, not always true. Right. It's not always true. Um, right. Even wines that do get better with time, winemakers talk about wines that go dumb. There may be, let's say something's meant to age 30 years. Um, between year one and 12, it's tight, real tight in the bottle. Year 20, okay, it's ready. Year 23, it may go dumb for a year. For some reason at the 23rd year, it 
that loses something and it comes around. Um, all of those factors, be it it's meant to be consumed quickly or or it's got a long life. The cool thing is, there's something alive in these bottles. Like we're drinking a truly living thing that is made for. And I feel like that's kind of part and parcel to the mystery. And that's what I also think about, you know, it's like I might find a bottle that's 2018 that I really like and then go back the next week and they don't have no 2018, but it's 2019. And if I put both of them together, I really want to go and find the 2018 that I have mm -hmm. And it's hard to do that unless you buy that case right there to there. Bingo, bingo. <laughs> put it someplace and you can, you know, pick it up. What are your, um, what, regions do you like best in wines you know are they is it spain portugal california washington if i had to pick one to feed the multitude um i call it the iberian diaspora starting in spain and portugal in the old world here we go with these nasty <laughs> problematic terms again um so starting with Spain and Portugal and then going to Argentina, uh -huh. Chile, and, and mm -hmm. most recently Uruguay. Um, um, France and Italy have, have that old world tax. They're always going to be more expensive, almost always, for wines of kind of quality for quality. Uh -huh. You're going to pay more for those kind of... Um, upper middle scale wines that we all know and love and should be able to, you should be able to afford wine that is of very good, excellent quality for under $15 a bottle all the time. Period. I like you. So at that, you know, at that quality level for the old world, in a lot of cases, France and Italy in particular, you're going above 20. Spain represents that classic traditional wine making acumen the wine from there for a long time was thought to be kind of insipid and just kind of sold in big jugs. They kept the best for themselves, which I feel all those European countries do. We could have a whole episode on that. But very recently, um, due to social media and specific personalities, people who, you know, their grandmother was from Spain and they went back every summer they ended up drinking something that the old um, weird guy with a limp at the end of the village made every year. And they found that it tasted like that expensive thing that they had when they were trying to impress somebody in San Francisco. Now they started importing it. Mm -hmm. Every single year, there's more and more coming from Spain that wasn't there the year before. It has no providence yet. They're kind of upstarts, much, much like what you, um, what you all purchased and are enjoying that I'm jealous that I don't have them, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> you know, they're these upstart okay. ones. If Chile and Argentina had vines planted there by the Italians and the French respectively right. in the 17th and 18th centuries. So you had these vines of old history and now they've got um, a new life kind of injected in them. So. Malbec from Argentina, from Mendoza specifically, uh -huh. and from Chile, um, their grape is called Carmenere, C-A-R-M-E-N-E-R-E, -E -E, with a few apostrophes and stuff uh -huh. thrown up in there. Um, there are some really, really awesome choices. Sauvignon Blanc from Chile is good. There's a white wine called Torontes from Argentina. There's just so, I, I can get a wine from 1981 from Rioja right now for under 50 bucks. Just as a, and, and it's an awesome experience. To, I had one from 1946, oh. but this specific winery, it's not cause I'm, I'm balling out of control. This specific <laughs> winery, that's their program. They age the wines themselves and they release them. Um, in 1983, they do a release of it every year. Um, you, a 1983 from Bordeaux, you are looking, you're probably approaching five figures. If, if I'm wrong, at least $5,000 to taste something from 1983. That was one of Bordeaux's best years. Um, 1942, like Chateau Petrus from, from, um, from Bordeaux. 
um, you're talking the price of a new car, 20000 So Spain... See, I really- don't understand that. I don't understand um, the fact that we have wine collectors mm-hmm. and we have people who will spend money on wine to put it someplace and let it age another 10 or 15 years. And, and show off. Mm-hmm. I can't see spending that much money personally on something that I'm going to consume. Correct. What what what's the what's the thought process behind wine collectors? I mean, what what's that about? So the thought process is I would say it's 50% the fact that some there is this point to where you can spend over $500 on a bottle of wine and truly receive something magical, right? That does exist. And I'm sure, you know, you could, I, I can see the three of us, all right, we didn't found this special bottle. All year, every week, we put $10 in our little fund. At the end of the year, buy one bottle for $500 to celebrate something and pop it. But when you're talking about four and five digits, <laughs> number one, it's, uh, it's um, the other half is the Kazakhanism. Um, there's a wine from California called Screaming Eagle and a woman made it in her garage and she started a mailing list and it was $200 for three bottles. If you can find a bottle of Screaming Eagle for under $6,000 retail, I would probably sign my house over to you. But they only did so much. There's now a list to get on the waiting list to get on the waiting list to get these bottles. Mm-hmm. Um, they call it now in the industry forced premiumization. Let's make too little of something, get a big buzz about it. Now good old social media is great for that. Um, it's in almost everything. It's the one of one culture with sneakers. Um, mm-hmm. With sneak, When I was young, I spent $150 three times a year and I was the man. Now you got to spend $2,000 every week. I can't do it. I go to pay less now. Um, <laughs> it's so there is a point where there are, there is with these wines, just the fact that they, these vines do age X amount of time. You know, it is, it's, it's nuts to be able to get something that's as old as any of us are and it still be vibrant in the bottle. You know, that, that's, that's magic of human engineering. But I do believe that there is a point, a tipping point to where it's more about the fact because I can. You know, how much gold does anybody need? Gold is beautiful. Jewelry is beautiful. But to put $150,000 on it on my neck at a certain point, is it because I like it or because I like you to like that? And I can do this, right, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nothing, nothing but bling in a glass. <laughs> And you don't even need much style to drink wine. To pull off a nice outfit or some designer stuff, you gotta have some style with you. I worked at a place where they would instruct us for certain tables. They always wanted the wine out on the edge of the table, right? And they wanted the bottle pointing outwards to everybody, to the rest of the restaurant. Mm-hmm. I got in trouble once because um, a former former politician in this state, one that may have been in the top in this state that um, went away to do a few summers summers in school, if you will. Um, he would come in with another guy that um, would be on the radio a lot on the AM and they would always want to have their wine facing outward so everybody could see and I do it once and I, I got to take <laughs> They showed me what not to do. <laughs> okay. So, Khalid, we don't have much time, but I, I do want to invite you back. Um, I, love to. I do want to be able to let people know how to reach out to you. So if you could, you know, just tell people how they can reach out to you, um, how they can get your wealth of information. Um, that would be interesting. And hopefully, well, go ahead. I'm this kind of annoying. Um, if anyone looks on the screen now, is it backwards? Oh no, is it backwards? Can you? Nope, it's not backwards. Okay, perfect. It's backwards to mess with Lord have mercy. Um, <laughs> my theme is every day to drink, to eat, to listen, and to think. Um, I do. Mm-hmm. I like to do that online at the Barrel Age, and that is on Instagram. Okay. That's the best way to get in contact with me. And um, folks that don't have Instagram, well, guess what? Folks that do and don't, 
you want to know some way other ways to get in contact with me like where i work and places i work you got to come back and listen to the wine drawer again we can't give it all away at once okay all right um, so that's the main point come back and listen to the wine drawer we will be doing this again there are other topics that we would like to um chit chat about that's right um taylor do you have any insight for khalid or you have any questions that you want to know um, the only question I have I is your Taylor. Taylor I'm hoping I don't run my mouth like I did the next episode, and I understand Taylor. <laughs> Taylor, are you there? I can hear Miss Can you hear me? No, we can't hear you, Taylor. And never mind, I don't have no questions. Uh-oh. <laughs> We're having technical difficulties. We really are. <laughs> Zoom likes Zoom loves to show out. That's it, Zoom's favorite thing to do. It does. Next time we'll have to go into the studio. Studio and, next time. That's a fact. And and that's a fact. Um, I. <laughs> but Khalid, we'll try to get together again. Um, you've been a wealth of conversation and information. I appreciate this. such a pleasure. Um, I have one more thing I, to say before so, I go. And okay. I promise this is it. <laughs> the reason that I'm in this industry and the reason that I do this today, I don't know if you even remember, but you are a big part of the reason. You were at a function, a family function of mine, and you heard me talking about wine and asking questions. And the next time you saw me, you brought me a bottle of 1995 Talbot Sleepy Hollow Chardonnay, which was one of the best things you can drink from California. And I remember it was on the wine list of the place I was working at the time for a pretty penny. And I worked at a place where people didn't really respect my wine acumen and things like that. They saw that I was drinking on that. Number one, it changed the game in my professional life. And it also showed me that there can be passion in a glass of wine. And I truly, yeah. sincerely, really, really want to coming back full circle now. Yes, you and I both, you and I both. And it's just like I tell people, the way that I became involved, my mother used to have us pick dandelions out in the front of the house. Yeah. And she, and she would bring them in and make dandelion, dandelion wine. Dandelion wine, yes ma'am. <laughs> I know. know that's right. <laughs> so we all have a beginning. <laughs> we all have a beginning, yes we do. I and, thank you ladies so much. Yes, I thank you. And you know I will be in touch and we will do this again live and in person. Live if not person. at a vineyard or you know in, in my living room or in my yard. All okay. of the above. We'll put, we'll put it together. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. Thank you so much, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time for the Wine Draws podcast. The Wine Draw is produced and distributed by Paradox Studio. My production engineer is Kaz McDougall, and they can be reached at paradoxvision.com. And happy sipping.